Section 37 of At the Point of the Bayonet, A Tale of the Marauder War, by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Esther ben Simonides. At the Point of the Bayonet, A Tale of the Marauder War. Chapter 18, An Awkward Position, Part 1. Three hours later, Harry was sent for by the general. "'I have read your report, Captain Lindsay, and thoroughly concur with you, that the very meritorious conduct of the soldier of the 3rd Bombay Cavalry, who has so long been attached to your service, should be rewarded. I cannot, of course, promote him in his own regiment. He will therefore appear in orders to-morrow as appointed Havildar in the 5th Bengal Cavalry, which is at present under my command. But the statement that— having now completed ten years' service in the Bombay Army, and having for six years of it been serving chiefly in this presidency, and having distinguished himself by his fidelity and courage, he has now been specially singled up for this promotion, and will be henceforth in charge of an escort of twenty men of his new regiment attached to the general staff. "'As to yourself, sir, I have, in a dispatch that will be sent off this evening, strongly recommended you to the Governor-General for promotion to the rank of Major. You were, I see by your army list, promoted to the rank of Captain seven years ago, before being sent to Calcutta, and, considering this distinguished and dangerous services that you have rendered, I wonder that you have not received another step. That is, however, accounted for by the fact that you have, now, for some time, been away from Calcutta with General Wellesley and myself— I am sure that my recommendation will at once be complied with. I am very grateful for your kindness, sir. You owe it to your own merits and not to any kindness on my part, Lord Lake said. You have an altogether exceptional record, and even in the comparatively short time that you have been with me, have performed most valuable services. Colonel Monson reports most highly of your conduct during his retreat, and the mission that you undertook at my request to Colonel Octoloni was a most dangerous one, and in itself sufficient to ensure promotion. There are many zealous officers in the service, but few, indeed, so qualified by their acquaintance with native languages as to undertake the missions with which you have been entrusted and have so successfully carried out. Harry took the dispatches and at once mounted his horse, which Abdul had brought round as soon as his master was summoned to the general's tent. After he had left the camp, he called Abdul up to his side. The latter was still in his native dress. Abdul, I shall have to look out for another cook and body servant, unless indeed I have another trooper to left to me. Abdul looked at Harry in astonishment. How is that, my lord? Are you dissatisfied with me? Harry laughed. Not in any way, Abdul. Upon the contrary. But your name will appear in orders tomorrow, as promoted to the rank of Havildar, in the 5th Bengal Cavalry, as a recognition of your faithful services. It is a great honour, Abdul said, especially as I have not served as a subadar, but I would far rather stay with you. You have been a father to me, and I pray you to let me remain as I am. You are to remain with me, Abdul. If you had to leave me, I should myself have told the general that I was sure you would rather not do so, and that, when you left me, I should myself show my gratitude for your good services. But of his own accord he has arranged this. You are not to join your new regiment, but are to command twenty sawars of the fifth, which are to be attached to those of the general staff, for escort duty. In this way you will still be with me, but as a native officer instead of a servant. 
and should I be sent on any special duty, you will, I am sure, be able to go with me, as before. Abdul's face brightened. That would be well indeed, Sahib. It will truly be a great honour to be an officer, and, if I ever return to my native village in the Deccan, I shall be regarded with great respect, and the faces of my father and mother will be made white at the honour I have won. Still, I fear that I shall not be as much with you as I have been before. Nearly as much, Abdul. I expect that Lord Lake, knowing how much I am indebted to you, will permit me to take you with me when engaged on any detached service, and you and your troopers will form part of his escort at all times. Besides, it is likely that, as matters stand, I shall not be sent away on any special duty for some time to come. You will, I know, be glad to hear that the general has recommended me for promotion also, and that I shall shortly be a major. That pleases me more than my own promotion, Sahib. I thought that you would have had it long ago, after that business at Nagpur. I had only been a captain then a few months, and was very young for that rank. It would have been unfair to others if I had been promoted then. I am still very young to be a major. It is not yours, but what you have done, Abdul said. Did you not obtain the release of Nana Furnuiz, and so change the state of affairs altogether at Puna? Well, it was for that that I got the rank of captain. And since then, though I have made a few journeys that would have been perilous, had I not been able to speak Maratha like a native, I would have had no opportunities of specially distinguishing myself. As soon as we get to Delhi, you had better order yourself in a uniform. You know the dress worn by the native officers of the 5th, and you must surely leave the tailor on, for you may be sure that the army will not remain long at Delhi, but will set off to meet Holkar as soon as provisions are collected, for there is no saying how far we may have to march before we meet him. I do not think that he will be in any hurry to give battle. On the 18th of October, the army arrived before Delhi. Holkar's cavalry were still in the neighborhood, but news came that the infantry, with a considerable number of his guns and a few thousand horsemen, had left him. On the 29th, he crossed the Jumna, below Panaput, to attack a detachment of one battalion of sepoys and some matchlock men, who were, under Colonel Burns, returning to the station at Saharunpur, from which he had hastened, when a report reached him that Holkar meditated an attack on Delhi. He was overtaken by Holkar at Shamli. The inhabitants of the place joined Holkar, but Burns formed his camp into a square and repulsed all attacks, until General Lake, with six regiments of cavalry, Thor's artillery, and a brigade of infantry, arrived to his relief on the 3rd of November, when Holkar at once retired, and burned every village near his line of route. General Lake followed at once. He had, before leaving Delhi, sent the rest of the British infantry, with two regiments of cavalry, under General Fraser, to attack Holkar's infantry and artillery, which had retired into the domains of the Raja of Burtpur, who, although he had been the first to enter into alliance with the British, after the capture of Agra, had now declared against them. They had taken up a position near the Raja's fortress of Deeg, which was believed to be impregnable. Their position was a very strong one. An extensive morass and a deep tank covered their front. On their left was a fortified village, and on the right the fort of Deek, which had been supported by several lines of batteries. Harry had been directed to accompany General Fraser, and was to take with him Abdul's little troop to serve as escort and furnish messengers. Abdul, now in his new uniform, rode at its head, behind General Fraser's staff, as he reconnoitred the enemy's position, and felt no small pride in his changed position, especially as the British officers of the staff, all of whom had heard of the manner in which he had brought about Harry's escape, took special notice of him, and on the march one or other had often dropped behind to have a talk with him. The next morning the British troops moved forward to the attack in two lines. 
the seventy-sixth regiment rushed impetuously against the fortified village and drove its defenders out at the point of the bayonet the tremendous fire was at once opened by the batteries behind it but without for a moment hesitating the seventy-six charged them speedily in the thick of their enemies the first bengal european regiment which followed seeing them almost surrounded ran down to their assistance and were followed by the sepoys and holkar's infantry unable to resist the assault fled to shelter of their next line of guns general fraser himself led the attack upon these these were also carried but the general fell mortally wounded colonel monson who now succeeded to the command reformed the troops who were in some disorder owing to the impetuosity of their charge and led them forward again battery after battery was captured numbers of holkar's men tried to cross the morass but sank in the mud and lost their lives the rest took refuge under the walls of deeg whose guns at once opened fire upon their pursuers while the tide pressed forward unchecked the Murata horse had ridden down in the rear of the British and had taken possession of the first line of batteries and had turned their guns upon their late captors. The consequences would have been serious had not Captain Norfolk gathered together twenty-eight men of the seventy-sixth regiment and led them against the Murata horse. These, staggered by the daring with which this handful of men advanced against them, fired a hasty volley and fled. Captain Norfolk was killed, but the men took possession of the guns which the Murattas, thinking that the day was altogether lost, did not attempt to recapture. As the fortress of Deeg was far too strong to be attacked by any force unprovided with siege guns, the British drew back, until beyond the range of its cannon, carrying off all the guns captured in the batteries, eighty-seven in number. The total amount of artillery employed against our troops was no less than one hundred and sixty guns. Our loss was naturally heavy, amounting to over six hundred and forty killed and wounded, while that of the enemy was estimated at two thousand killed or smothered in the morass the force encamped beyond the reach of the guns of deeg awaiting orders from general lake the battle was scarcely over when colonel monson rode up to harry and said it is of great importance that general lake should receive the news of our victory as soon as possible there is no one so well fitted to carry it as you are there will be no occasion for disguise this time for Holkar's depredations must have excited the whole population against him. At the same time, you had better take your Havildar and his troopers with you. It will command respect, and, if you should come across any small body of Holkar's marauders, I am sure that you will give a good account of them. Can you give me any indication as to where General Lake is likely to be at present, sir? He marched from Shamshir to Mohammedabad, and, as he probably took the road through Sekarah, he no doubt settled accounts with that rascally rajah i understood from him that he suspected hokar would make for shirdana as the begum of that place has five battalions of drilled troops and forty guns which would be a welcome reinforcement after that he will of course be guided by hokar's movements the reports of the peasantry led me to believe that the enemy are advancing in the direction of furukabad i should say that you had best cross the jum at moltra and ride to Alagur. In that way you will not be likely to meet Holkar's force, which must at present be beyond the Ganges. Half an hour later, Harry started with his escort. He crossed the Jumna at Mutra, and they learned that Holkar had, the night before, arrived within twelve miles of the town, and was, as usual, destroying everything before him. Harry continued his course to Cod, within a mile or two of Alagur, which he reached late in the evening. 
the capture of the fort believed to be impregnable had had the effect of producing so profound a respect for the british arms that harry on his arrival was received by the principal men of the town and a large house was placed at his disposal for himself and his escort supplies were at once furnished and when a meal had been eaten and the horses attended to the troops lay down for the night end of section thirty seven recording by esther ben simonides